Are you a U.S. service member or veteran who finds it hard to fall or stay asleep? Do you feel tired and sleepy during the day? You answered yes, you might be experiencing a common sleep disorder called insomnia. Cognitive behavior therapy is the number one recommended treatment for insomnia. A new study conducted by the Center for Neuroscience and Regenerative Medicine is testing an online cognitive behavior therapy app that can be accessed by a computer or a smartphone. This study can be completed 100% online anywhere in the U.S. Active duty service members and veterans between the ages of 18 and 64 who are experiencing insomnia and have had a head injury might be eligible to participate. Interested in learning more about this opportunity? Call or text 301-456-5474 to connect with a member of the study's team. That's 301-456-5474 or visit militaryveterandad.com forward slash sleep. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Why are elevator jokes so classic and good? They work on many levels. Hey guys, welcome back. This is Military Veteran Dad. I'm your host, Ben Cloy, your corny dad joke expert. And this is episode 151. And today we're going to be talking with Ken Wimberly. And Ken has an amazing story of building something that felt like it was just perfectly designed for everything we've been talking about here on Military Veteran Dad. question I want to open up with is, How are you going to be remembered? With life being so busy these days, we often don't think about these questions unless someone in our life dies, some type of interruption in the normal drift of our life. And for a brief few days, we remind ourselves of the fragility to life. But we often quickly get back to the busyness of life because life doesn't stop while we're mourning. And we we forget about making those intentions to ensure that we do something worth remembering. And it just is a cycle that someone passes away, you're like, oh man, just we, we shouldn't get together with family only when people get married when they die. Like we should have more intimate connection between lives and families between these two big events and sad events. And that is an often common thought, and I've been to funerals, is why do we only get together when people pass or when people get married? Why isn't it more intention during those middle times? Well, today we're going to kind of dive into a whole bunch of those conversations, and today I'm talking with Ken Wimberly. Ken is the founder and visionary behind Legacy Journal. He is married to his soulmate, Amber, and his three children, Grace, Knox, and Kai, to whom he has been journaling monthly since 2003. He's passionate about personal development and helping others to become the best version of themselves. He is active in the community and is a proud of the nine years he has served as big in the Big Brothers and Sisters program. Above all, Ken values family, the pursuit of passion, serving others, mentor short, mentorship and being impactful guys this episode will not disappoint make sure you check out the legacy journal app there's a link down in the show notes for that as well there is a link to the youtube video that he mentions towards the end of this about the gifting his daughter the video that he curated over the 18 years of her life so without further ado let's get started with ken wimberly and hang on to the other side for my big takeaway welcome to the podcast ken and thanks for having me here appreciate it this episode is going to go into a lot of different areas and there are going to be a lot of areas where it's like, where have you been on my life, Ken? But there's also going to be a lot of areas where we resonate with Ken's story just from a little bit of what I know about him. This interview is definitely going to hit close to home. So again, thank you for coming on the podcast today, Ken. 
It's really my honor. I'm, I'm happy you asked me. So to kick it off, there's always a kind of question that I always like to crack it wide open. I don't really like to play it soft. I like to go all in for the, for the first question here. So when you first became a dad, what was one of those thoughts that eventually you learned that was the wrong thought to have? Like, what did you need to cancel out of your life when it was becoming a dad? Uh, my first thought was, oh, shit, was the first thought I was uh, I felt dramatically underprepared. I remember when my wife this is my ex-wife now, but I remember when she sat me down on the couch and she kind of looked at her watch and she said, remember when we got married? We said, we're going to wait two years to start having babies. Well, kind of tapped her watch. It's been two years. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I am not ready for that. And I think at that time I was what, 30, I think I, I think I was 32 uh, when I had my daughter and even at 32, I felt just, um, I didn't feel that I was emotionally ready, that I was mature enough, that I was still there. And I don't know when I thought I might feel that, but I certainly didn't feel that. And so I think that was the, the biggest thing that I felt um, like I wasn't ready, like I wasn't prepared and I wasn't going to be able to live up to the dad I needed to be. What year did you get out of the Navy? 94. So how old were you between like when you had kids or between like when you were 32 and when you got out? Oh, golly. When I, when I got out, so I turned 20 and 21 in the Navy. So I was young. I, I enlisted when I was uh, uh, 19 and turned 20 in boot camp and 21 in Japan. So I was young. I was only 22, 23 when I got out. So um, I was fairly young. So it was another, you know, uh, nine years later. When, so what, what did that what those first nine years look like as far as what your life had you had set up and in that moment when your wife tapped her watch and is like it's time to get going like what were you doing that kind of like made those nine years flash by before I even knew it well from out of the navy it was i mean i finished college i enlisted when we uh went to war with gulf war one and then got out after uh one tour and then went back to college i got my degree worked in the insurance and investment industry for a few years there just kind of grinding it out doing work as, as an employee and then got the entrepreneurial bug and decided I was with actually one of my Navy buddies. So we we're going to go open a pizza restaurant together. Uh, I had actually, one of the jobs I had in college was I was a pizza delivery driver for this place that had amazing food. So we licensed the recipes, licensed the name from this group, and we went and opened up uh, a pizza restaurant and thought we had it all figured out, thought we were going to build a big business. We were going to open five locations, and then we we're going to work with the, the family that owned it to create a franchise plan and take it regional and then national out there. And uh, that was the plan. And the reality was we made some really key mistakes when we were opening that restaurant. And one of the biggest was actually a real estate mistake, taking much more space than we needed in a location that was set back. And things that today I would not let people do because I've been in the real estate business for 20 plus years now. Uh, but at the time I didn't know squat about real estate or negotiating real estate or any of that and um, made a bunch of mistakes. And that ended up being the anchor that drowned us in 18 months after we opened for business, we closed the doors and we filed chapter seven bankruptcy. So it was a, it was a real low point uh, for me, for my family, for my partner, for our employees. I mean, we had, you know, we let down a ton of people from suppliers to employees to, ourselves and um, and it was a shitty time, but uh, so we had to kind of really pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and and get through that one. Took a, took a couple of years to get out of that. So an interesting thought that I always love to dive into when people talk about being an entrepreneur and getting that bug. 
a lot of veterans struggle to break free from this is how life is supposed to be. It's a issued type of mindset that you need to go get this job. Money needs to be issued to just like it was in the military. And we have a very limited mindset that entrepreneurship even could be in our life. So I'm wondering, did you fight that idea or were you more like risk adverse and like risk wasn't really a thing you process and you were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Let's just run towards it. Or did you have to kind of talk yourself into it that maybe entrepreneurship and this third lane road of, I wonder if this could work was something you had to do with. I mean, I was a little drawn to it. My, my grandfather had built a construction company. And so I'd seen him as an example of an entrepreneur. Uh, but he was like, he was really the only example in my family at the time that I, that I had from that, but I was, I, I loved what he had built and what he had done. And uh, I thought, man, that'd be cool to kind of go build and do some of that on my own. So I was drawn to it and I had just, you know, youthful ignorance and uh, just boundless optimism on what I could do. And, you know, as I just shared, it just got slapped in my face on my first uh, entrepreneurial exploit there and ended up following chapter seven. And, so that was rough. I had to learn a lot through that. One of the things I did, it, you know, you look back in life and I didn't have any mentors, no real advisors, no coaches, no, no mastermind groups or networking groups that I was a part of at that time in my life. And so it was just all, you know, by the seat of our pants and kind of winging it. And it was before entrepreneurship was sexy too. Like it wasn't something that was mainstream that it was before, like today you got like YouTube and other things. You can go learn actually a ton of stuff from, from just crowdsourcing in in, uh, the internet right there. But this is before all that. So it was a, it was an interesting learning experience. Now, these days I am surrounded by mentors, coaches, advisors, friends, mastermind groups, uh, people that help to uh, get me down that journey and help me to become successful. Knowing that you're an entrepreneur now, how did you get over the gun shyness of trying again? Uh, well, so initially when I failed, I stayed in the restaurant business. I went to work for a, a regional chain and was a general manager for them. And, um, you know, honestly, it was working 70 to 80 hours a week for a, a fixed salary and commuting about 50 miles each way, sometimes twice a day as you're the GM, sometimes show up, you're, you're back at the office. So it was the grind that I was putting in for about a year right there. And then at the time, we were like eight months pregnant with my daughter. And I thought, man, I'm never going to see my little girl. I'm going to be working all the time doing this. I'll get home. I'll be exhausted. I'll fall asleep. I'm never going to see my little girl. This is not going to work for me. And so part of it was you know, necessity to get out of the environment that I was in. And the other was I had always, I got my degree in finance, real estate, and I've always kind of toyed with the idea of, of real estate, and especially the commercial real estate side, that part really interested me. And so, um, that's kind of what drew me into the real estate business. I was like, I'm going to get out of this into that, had a little bit of money saved up. Uh, you know, mind you, we had filed bankruptcy a year, year earlier. My, my wife had a job, so she was working. We had a little money saved up and, said, all right, it's just time to make that leap right there. And so I got into the commercial real estate business in, what was that, October 2002. So when I got into that business, it was a uh, uh, yeah, rough year. The first year, I mean, I was grinding. I mean, I was, just, I was putting in the hours, I was putting in the work, I was listening, learning everything I could at that time. And I had a great little uh, couple of mentors in that business, uh, the people I, I worked for. They, it was interesting. When I went into that business, the, the pitch 
from this guy to, to join his company. And he was, I, I reached out to him and he said, look, Ken, he said, I'm not a big shop. We're a small family owned shop. I don't have a formal training program. Uh, don't have like a, you know, a formal mentorship program, nothing like that. Uh, you've got to bring your own computer. Uh, you're probably not going to make any money for at least 12 months. So kind of plan on that. And I don't have a salary. I don't have a draw. You're just going to kind of kind of kind of muscle it out and you eat what you kill here. He said, but you can chart your own path. I'm not going to pigeonhole, pigeonhole you into a particular asset class or tell you what you have to work on. You kind of work on the things that are of interest to you. And uh, for some reason, that sounded like it was an okay deal to me. So I said, all right, sign me up. And uh, that first year in the commercial real estate business, I made, I think it was $18,032 is roughly what I made that first year in, in the business. And, uh, uh, but the next year I made six figures and then the next year I did a little better and then the next year I did a little better and I kept learning and applying myself. And I started getting into leadership. I joined, um, uh, the, the realtor boards and the, the board of uh, governors there, and then signed up for the leadership track on that and just started getting involved and, went down to the you know, Texas Association of Realtors, got involved there and uh, leadership helped introduce me just to a ton of people in the industry. And that led to more opportunities and, you know, uh, real estate became a thing that I, I became good at. When you think back on that story, which is easy to tell, what surprises you about it? Um. I, I don't know that a ton surprises me about that. Uh, you know, what, let me tell you what's left out from that, that it's not a straight line. Okay. And there's a lot of ups and downs. So what's left out of from, from there. And I got good at it. And it was great. Is that, you know, there was also the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, that the bottom fell out from commercial real estate. And I was primarily a land broker land deals evaporated overnight when that happened. So all my business just evaporated. And so then it was just another grind to, you know, doing great one day or one year and the next year your, your income's cut in half or more. Um, but it's, it's pivoting, it's learning, it's doing the work, it's picking up the phone, having the conversations, uh, talking with prospects and, and making it happen. So we continued on and did that and, uh, made it through the tough times and started building again and learning from that. Then I learned about leverage. I learned about people, and hiring people and having people leverage in my life. And uh, there's you know, just little things I continue to layer and learn and, and build upon my business. Let's pretend there's a listener out there who's potentially say like in that moment where they made 18,000 and they're like, how do you get through it? Because those days when you're like, you're not sure what tomorrow even looks like, and you're really not even sure if you're the crazy person in the room and you should go back to be normal. What would you tell that person? I mean, a couple of things. Number one, I mean, if you really believe in the path that you're on, and I did, I, I knew that there was, uh, you know, people had gone before me. There had been many, many people successful in that business before me. Okay. I knew I was relatively intelligent. Okay. I can kind of figure this out. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can do the work and figure it out. So if, if you believe that that path before you will manifest um, and it will yield the results, then, then you've got to put in the work. You've got to put in the hours. There's the 10,000 hour rule to become an expert. And you've got to log those 10,000 hours. You really do have to put the work in right there. And you've got to, you've got to do the grunt work. A lot of times it's easier. People want to go, Oh, I want to do the fancy. I, I want to, I want to live the life. 
but I don't want to do the work that, that took to get there. Cause you see, it's easy to look upon others and see where they are. And, but you don't see the countless, countless, countless hours in the dark that they spent to build the skill that got them to where they are today. And so it's, it's important to just grind that out and log in the hours and log in the time to become an expert at that. And it's also really, really, really important to find a way to add value to people. Because one of the things I've loved about the real estate business is, you know, in, in our business, um, we succeed when we help others succeed. And so I've always looked for ways that I can add value to my clients. And what eventually happened was what's really interesting is the value I started adding had nothing to do with real estate. It was, I was improving my life in other kinds of ways in personal development. I've learned Tony Robbins. I've learned about coaching and mentors and I got on a really big fitness journey. And then I started just helping others through their own mental space or their own journey of, of their own accountability or their fitness journeys and other things. So I'm helping all these clients I have do these totally non-real estate related things, which then deepened our relationship and deepened our bond. And there's more and more business coming my way because I'm helping them in these other ways. And it's not a, hey, I'm doing this so I can get more business. It's I'm doing this just to, to help, to be a service, to add value. And, you know, it's, there's, there is a uh, kind of a principle that you know, the, the, the more you do, and that's old Zig Ziglar saying, right? The more you do to help you know, some people, the more good that comes to you or something along those lines. And, and it's so true. The more you can help someone, the more help that comes your way. I think that's something that a veteran often, we're not innately programmed with. We're programmed to serve and protect and support, but figuring out how to be that person of value, that is a really difficult one. And I was just having a conversation earlier today and the basic core business question that you shouldn't even open your sh hang out your shingle unless you know what problem you're solving we hear that in business all the time when you're in the business world but it's not really equated to you as a person we don't really define it in one sentence like what problem do you really solve it's told in this resume story of these random skills and i'm wondering did you ever struggle to figure out what problem you solved in the world or is it something that kind of just kept digging away at it i mean in in Look, in the, we can talk about the, my legacy journal or my legacy journey later. And then I had to, to define what problem I was solving right there in the real estate business. It, it I, honestly, I was asking when I started succeeding in the real estate business, a lot of my success came from a conversation I had early on when I hadn't had any deals closed yet. And I, and I sat down with the developer one day and I still good friends with this guy today. And I said, I said, Jim, I said, I am you know, a relatively intelligent guy. I was like, but I don't know this business. I've never been in this business before. I'm like three months into it. I don't know how to add value to people. I, I don't know what you're looking for, what you need. I was like, if you will sit down with me, show me what you need. Show me kind of the process that I should go through to help you. I've got time on my hands. I'm a hustler. I will make it happen. And, and he did. He said, I said, okay, here's, here's our business. Here's how we operate. This is what I'm looking for. If you can find this kind of deal for me, here's some ways you can go find that, uh, bring that to me. Uh, we'll start doing business together. And that's what I did. I started doing that. He, he showed me kind of a little path on I me. Mean, I ask, that's the short answer is I ask, how can I serve you? You know, mm -hmm. what, what that's such do you a rich need? question. Yeah. I got to serve you. What do you need? Uh, and, and I'm here to help. And people will tell you, they'll, they'll tell you exactly that. Were you always attracted to people or were you more like inverse, like, maybe early days avoided people or were you always naturally leaning out? Cause that's something else veterans struggle is being outward and visible 
And most of our initial veteran mindset is we want to be invisible because we don't want to be seen as a veteran. We want to just be seen as normal. But then we also isolate ourselves from those conversations that you just said. Well, look, and and look, I think any of us as as veterans as as well is that is not the only that is not the thing that defines. I think as as a veteran, it is it is something that elevates us in things. It is it is honor. It's things that not enough people do, not enough people go out and do. So it is something that if anything, it, it is a badge of honor for people. But it's not a defining term. It's not a defining part of 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 us. I think we ourselves get to define that. But kind of to your question right there is um, I'm frankly an introvert. I don't love, I'm not an extrovert by nature. I'm not a, Hey, go bond with a bunch of random people. So it, it takes, it's me getting out of my comfort zone to go seek out people, seek out relationships, ask questions, pick up the phone and call strangers to do any of that. That's me getting out of my comfort zone, but sometimes it's exactly what we've got to do to grow. It's exactly what we've got to do to succeed is get out of our comfort zone right there. And early in my 10 years getting out of the Marine Corps, I was isolated from the world. I did not want to reach out to it and I didn't have any friends. And it was the result of exactly what I just said, insulating myself and just having my family and work essentially be the only things I defined myself by. And it wasn't until I started saying hello to dads at the park is an odd place to begin, but it was that place where I got hooked on the process and learning the power of hello is like, that's the single most powerful word in the human language, but very few of us actually ever leverage its power and it's free of charge. Like you can literally say hello a thousand times and it won't cost you a dime unless you're paying a networking event to be there. And it was that process that really helped me understand that on the other side of hello is everything you've ever wanted. But until you say it, you can't get that. And the amount of people you talk to is proportional to the amount of opportunity you feel in life. So a lot of veterans feel we don't have any opportunity. We might feel a little bit down on ourselves. We might feel like the world isn't abundant and that there's only a limited amount of opportunity. But it's typically, in my experience, and I would feel like it's in yours as well, proportional to the amount of conversations you're having, because that almost increases your optimism based on how many people you're talking to. Yeah, well, I think I just heard a book title right there on the other side of hello is everything you've ever wanted. <laughs> great. Uh, but you're exactly right. Like the more conversations we have, the more connect, well, it, it, it's the more connections that we make, the more connected we are. And along with those, this comes with actually asking questions, being curious, listening to the answers uh, that come across. And yeah, I think it's, it's really important. And get involved in there. There are groups out there and people that get together. And I don't know. Uh, I just got recently invited to start working out with a group of guys called, it's called F3. Um, it's started by some ex-military people and it's, it's fitness fellowship and faith. And it is a really, really cool thing. And, and that's, again, I'm an introvert. So this is kind of a group of guys that get together every morning, five 30, everyone's got their own, um, uh, F3 name, if you will. So you're, everyone's kind of called by a call name. Uh, you get assigned on your, your first workout right there, but it's been a, it's a really another cool way for fellowship and to connect with people and to learn more about people and to, to grow from others experiences right there. So there's, there's all kinds of ways we can do that. Before we go into the legacy app, which I don't want to discredit, or I want to make sure we have enough plenty of time to go into it. There's a question that kind of, uh, my intuition hit me that in the power of hello, the most powerful part that I've learned, and you proved this right before we hit record, you told me about this amazing idea for laundromats that you're creating. And these aren't just your ordinary laundromats. This is like the the Caesar's palace of laundromats. 
but family oriented. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I can never unhear that. I'm wondering in your world, is there a conversation that like was a paradigm shift? Like once you heard this person speak and explain the world the way they saw it, like you could never unhear it that allowed you to see it differently. Cause that perspective is what we often miss the most. And a single hello can like you, once you learn what someone does, it's like, wow. So you talk about conversations that have kind of changed my paradigm. There were, um, I'll give you two examples. One is a book I read that changed my paradigm and that's think and grow rich. And I didn't read that until I was 40. And when I read that, I was, I mean, I remember, you know, yelling at Amber, Oh my God, my wife, like, this, this is, <laughs> this the is gold. I'm the, yeah. And it's I mean, 80 it's, years it, old. It, it, yes. And the book was written <laughs> in the thirties. So it was just, it's amazing. And, and so that's one, but another is um, listening to a guy on stage one time, I, there Gary Keller speak on stage and he had said some things that just blew me away. Um, you know, particularly about purpose in finding your purpose, what he calls a big why and really understanding that to help pull you through the rough times in life. Cause inevitably every one of us are going to get punched in the face, no matter where the things are going you know, miserably for you. Things are going amazing for you. You know, the carpet gets yanked out from all of us right here. Um, life gets hard, life gets tough. But when you have a, a purpose bigger than you, a calling bigger than you um, it's, it's that thing that can get us through those tough times. It can lift us up. And, and kind of keep us going right there. So anyway, those are the, the book, Think and Grow Rich, the conversation and the, within the, the words from Gary Keller were two things that really just opened my mind to quite a bit. Is Gary Keller the one that does the power of the one thing or the one yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. He wrote the one coming thing. up on my radar at least three times. You're like the fourth person to mention Gary Keller in like the last month and a half. And I've heard it for many years, but it's somehow the universe is telling me something that that name has popped up at least four times now. He's a very smart guy. He co-founded Keller Williams Realty and then built it into the largest real estate company in the world. But he's a, he's a very, very, uh, very intelligent guy. And um, he has a lot of, I mean, he taught me a lot as a mentor from stage. And then I got involved in small groups with him. And uh, he was just a, an amazing influence in my life right there. This is a really great uh, podcast episode with uh, Gary Keller being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. It's a, you can learn a ton from listening to that oh, two podcast. Powerhouses, I can only imagine. Big time. Yeah. So let's make that shift. Let's talk about your legacy app and legacy is the core foundational principle of this podcast. I've often preached that the biggest mistake we make as veterans is not focusing on the legacy of our family and that we often just hang on to the legacy of our service and try to find meaning but your family is the meaning for your life and what you want to leave behind. So take me to the genesis of where this idea kind of started from. Yeah. So uh, I'll take you back to where the, the process started that led to the idea. But um, so mind you, let's go back. I just left the pizza re restaurant. I'm uh, getting in the real estate business way back in, in 2000. So my daughter is born in December, 2002. And Around the time she was born, from, from a few months before to a few months after, three different kind of things happened and that hit home for me. And one was uh, when we were pregnant, I went to visit with my attorney and was talking with him. And he said, Ken, you're about to have a baby. He said, let me tell you what I do for my children. And he had two young boys at the time. And he said, at the end of every year, okay, keep in mind, this is 2002. Okay. At the end of every year, he would take one minute of video 
her child, you know, this is old school. You got a video camera on your, on your shoulder here. Um, a little bit smaller than that, but it's, it's not an iPhone. So he would, he would take a minute of video per month for each one of his boys and he would burn it onto a DVD and then put a soundtrack to it and make like a 12 minute. This is your life in 2002 video. Like that idea was brilliant. I mean, I just love that. And he said, you know, that way my kids will always have this. I'll kind of see their growth over the, the months and the years. And I thought, man, that, that's amazing. So he gave me that idea, but I didn't own a video camera. Still today, I don't know how to edit videos. So it, it, that probably wasn't going to be my thing, but it was one of the things that got me thinking. The next thing that happened was um, on my birthday, my stepmother gave me I mean, arguably the most meaningful birthday gift I've ever received, even today. And um, that was a leather bound scrapbook of my life and opened up the scrapbook. And the first picture in there is, is my baby picture from the hospital, the hospital bracelet on there. And then as I turned the pages, it told the story of my life. And she had photos. She had handwritten notes in the margins that kind of reminded me of the different people that we were with, the vacations we took, the little jokes we told, the time the van, you know, got a flat tire and broke down on the side of the road. We had all these just amazing stories that were collected and given to me in this scrapbook. And it literally went from, again, the day I was born up through, you know, my college graduation kind of had everything in there. It was just, it was beautiful. So there was that. And then the, the third thing that happened was right after, uh, Grace was born, right? Actually, I'd say right over several months. The first time we had taken her out to eat, I was, uh, you know, walking around proud Papa holding her in my arms in the restaurant. And this older gentleman I'd never met kind of came up to me, looked at me with misty tears in his eyes. And he said, son, he said, don't ever let a day pass without telling that sweet child, just how much you love her. He said, cause you have no idea how fast the time passes. I'm like, damn. So those three things really were just like, sitting with me. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? This is, this is the world telling me you need to do something here. And so I, what I decided was that, look, I can, I can write, I can write a story to my children for my children ever so often. And so I decided I would create a journal for my daughter. And so I started when she was 10 months old. If frankly, I can type faster than I can write pen to paper. So I decided to do it digitally. And, and I just started with the old word document way back in 2003, she's 10 months old. And, um, and I wanted something that I would stick with. I didn't want to be that guy that was going to start something and then just, you know, quit on it. So I wanted a, a process a rhythm I could stick with. So I said, you know, I can do this once a month. I can slow down once a month, 15, 20 minutes, write a little story about what's happened in our lives. And that's what I did. I just started on average once a month, writing the story. If, at first it was just about what it was like to be a new dad and how nervous I was, how excited I was, how beautiful she is. And, uh, you know, her little milestones on what she was going through and developing. And, uh, yeah, then later, you know, her little, little brother was, uh, in the womb and his, the first entry I wrote from him or for him, he was still in the womb. I was kind of talking about what his, uh, mom was craving while she was pregnant. And, uh, then I just stuck to that rhythm once a month. And, Eventually, I learned a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, you know what? You can put a photo in a Word doc. That's kind of cool. So I started <laughs> adding some photos into it. And then a little what later What a great on, time to be alive. Yeah, no, <laughs> cool. So a little later on, I realized if you put too many photos in a Word doc, all your shit crashes. So um, I had to kind of work through some of that. And, uh, and then fast forward, 
I guess several years later, back to, I guess 2012 is when I discovered kind of the note-taking apps like Evernote and OneNote. And so I started using programs like that. So then I started, you know, they were easier. You could do more with it. So I started writing the journal entries in those kind of apps. Then the iPhone came along and I started using that. And uh, so I started putting some of the entries in the iPhone notes. So what I found is I had all of these disparate places where I had written journal entries from Word doc to Evernote, OneNote, iPhone. Uh, and they had, you know, we were record also recording like end of year videos. I started doing that early on when the kids were probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old. I'd, I'd record end of year videos. We'd ask, I'd ask the same 20 questions at the end of every year of the kids. And then year over year, I'd record these. It's been really cool. So I've got, I got all this stuff in different places. And I'm like, man, ultimately I wanted to give all those stories to each of my children at high school graduation. That's just going to be my private gift to them. And, uh, and then I'd been sharing this process to a lot of parents over the years, many of whom had started journaling to their own kids and doing this kind of stuff. And uh, people started reaching out to me like, can you like create something and make it easy? Cause it's not easy to keep all this stuff here. So you should actually go create something. And honestly, I assumed by the time I had the mental bandwidth to do anything like that, that it was already created already. I, I hoped it was already created and already out there so that I could just go use it. And, uh, but I went to search the market and I, I couldn't find it. And so that led us to create what has now become the legacy journal mobile app. And so now we're a, a mobile app that lets people to kind of capture and document the journeys they take as parents and children together. And you can include photos, video, audio files. So your own voice, your words left for your children right there. Um, can create a digital timeline of your child's life. Like for my, I've got a six-year-old now too, and his first entry is a sonogram. And then I, I, I document his major milestones. So it goes from, it, plus a whole lot of other stuff, but I, I can just kind of really look at his milestones too. But it'll be from, you know, his sonogram to the day he was born, to the day he came home from the hospital and and on and on and on, up to his most recent milestone, I think he was he was riding this bike without training wheels. So um, it's, it's really, really cool. So we created this thing to, as, as kind of our way to give back to other dads, other moms, other parents that are out there so that they can quickly, easily, safely, securely backed up on Amazon web servers right there. Just do something easy when something happens. You think of something, great. Write it down for your kid right there. Think of a little thing you want to pass on to them. Write it down. Boom, it's done. So that's what we created. Have any of your kids graduated high school yet? Oh, dude, you got to go look. It's yes. Um, my daughter is now a freshman at Auburn. So last June she graduated. And so I've been planning this like for <laughs> literally 18 years. I've been planning this stuff. And so she came into the room. Uh, I had her mom and then my wife, her stepmom and me sitting in the living room. I had three cameras up. Grace comes in. She goes, uh, why are all these cameras here? <laughs> and I was like, have a seat. And, uh, so I wrote her a letter. And so I read her the letter just about my love to her and what she's meant to me. And then I gave her an iPad and on the iPad um, was her journal. I had exported everything to a, to a website, to an HTML site. And it was 18 years worth of stories of her life on there. It was beautiful. So it's on YouTube. You can go, if you go to the, uh, look for legacy journal app on YouTube, go to our page and it's, it's the, the, the kind of core, uh, the, the first video on that page. And I can only imagine more stories like this have become part of it because now other people are sharing in that process Dude, and it, it becomes is. almost like, uh, 
I could actually, it's almost like a different kind of coming home video that those videos often pull me to pieces no matter what. These videos, so I can cool. imagine the same way. It, it's so cool that I've, you know, I interview as many people want to talk to me that are customers of ours. I'll interview them and talk to them. And I was talking to a dad this week who had reached out to me. And he's like, he's like, man, he goes, this has given me such a peace of mind. I'm always asking, well, what problem is it solving? Like, I know what problem it solved for me, but what problem is it solving for you? What, you know, how, what, you know, what's it doing? How are you using it? And he's like, it's giving me such peace of mind. He said, I expect to be here through my grand grandkids. He's like, but if something happens, he goes, I know that I've got these 20 some odd stories that I've written right now for my kids. And they'll have that to know who I am. They'll hear my voice. They'll understand me and they'll know my hopes and my dreams for them. I was like, wow, that's, that is what makes me happy. That's what makes me smile. when I see that we're, we're kind of helping people like that. And I think there's a, especially for military families, because when a family or loses the dad, there's a component of that kid or whatever stage they're at no longer gets that life advice from their dad. And I've talked to dads a lot about this and talked about the podcast where creating like an anchor memory where they can kind of go get in touch with your wisdom. But in this case, it's almost like reliving the memories, which allows you then to experience that feeling of him being in the room with you again and still tapping into that wisdom of who he is and what he would think. Yeah. And like, what would dad do type moments? And but we don't often think like that. We don't design like that. But I often will tell either kids or dads, like the best thing you could do for your kids if you're getting ready to deployment is create those anchor memories so they have a place to go visit with dad and kind of sit with you when you're not there because there is a time when you're not going to be there. And there's these are the ways they're going to communicate to get that wisdom. Let me tell you, for anyone that's listening that we've long kind of thought, I say long thought, last year or so, we've really been thinking um, that this is ideal for deploying families right here, something like this, because you, husband and wife, grandparents, if they want, are in the same account. You can both kind of journal into the same account and keep these stories for children. I know I've had husband and wife use it to write stories back and forth for each other, but especially writing stories for the children right there. So if anyone has connections to um, the liaisons, uh, the kind of for deployment and people that are deployed right there, connect me. We'd love to give super, super discounted uh, plans. It's a freemium. It's a free app. So it's free to use, but for for the video and audio and all that stuff, but we have a paid version of it. We will give super heavy discounted plans to any military families that are using this. So if you can connect me to the, um, what, what are the people called that, um, that, that help with family the, readiness the, centers. Yeah. 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 The, you help, connect me with anyone involved in the family ready, readiness centers. I will get them set up with discounted uh, plans. And it's, it's, it's something that you will never, ever, ever regret doing for your children. I absolutely love the entire idea and I'm definitely going to be checking it out after this interview to incorporate because I've definitely been doing it just with my basic iPhone stuff. So like it pops up and creates a memory of a bunch of pictures yeah. and I have all the kids have iPads and they all have iMessage so I can share that video with them on the iMessage and it's just these curated memories, but it's yeah. just using the basic idea of letting them relive a memory they don't even remember and to just see their own progression. I think as human beings, we forget the passage of time very often because of just how fast life does go. And then seeing your growth, especially as a kid, I could just imagine how impactful that's going to be. Yes. And, and my, and is, I think, so here's, so like I gave it all to grace. She's eight, 19 at college right now. So right now I know she's read some cause she's kind of reached out to me on, on some stuff, but 
where I think it, the end is it is so valuable as the parent to have the stuff and to look back over those memories as the parent and relive what it was like and how amazing it is when they're little kids. They're so sweet. They're so like, I've got a six-year-old right now. He's angelic. I got a 17-year-old boy right now. It can be a little different. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it, but, but to, to read over the old entries like that and the peace of mind it gives you, it says that my yes and, and what I really think is going to be valuable is down the road when, you know, my children become parents of their own and then they'll start reading through this stuff and be like, wow, okay, this is the shit dad was going through and is what yeah. he was thinking and what it was And also like. just passing down the life lessons. Think of like every time people have kids, it's often like relearning the wheel every time. And so this kind of creates generational knowledge, which isn't something we often work well with. And generational stories, let alone even just knowing who your grandparents are is often a very small window. This is almost like the entire life lessons of the people before us. So that way we don't have to keep tripping over the same stuff. Yeah, it's pretty. And you mentioned the kind of advice and stuff. So for, for the final entry I wrote for my daughter, um, I wanted to leave her with advice from dad, right? Some good advice from her father. And I, I had some, certainly some things on my list I wanted to leave her with, but I reached out to a couple of groups that I'm part of. I'm part of a group called Front Row Dads, uh, just group of awesome dads that kind of get and help each other be better. So I reached out to front row dads and then I reached out to GoBundance, another mastermind I'm part of. And I asked both those groups, I'm like, Hey, if your child was leaving the nest, heading off out in the world on their own, what's that one piece of advice you'd want to pass on to him or her? Oh my goodness. The stuff I got back was absolute gold. So then I write this final entry to grace that had all of this, you know, curated advice for her and kind of left it, which was the first entry she read, which is just beautiful. Um, and then it was so great. The experience was so great. If, if you also if you go to that YouTube page, um, Legacy Journal up YouTube page, we created like a really, really well-produced um, video um, about the advice from fathers from around the world to the collective daughters from around the world. So it's really, really kind of cool thing to watch there. Oh man, I can only imagine. I was put make sure I put a link for that in the show notes for any yeah, dads to, to avoid having to search and make sure they find the right one. So head in the show notes for that one. I want to go into a conversation and kind of close out our interview with a topic that you hinted on right before we hit record and we paused our conversation to make sure we didn't steal the gold. And you talked about curating mentors in your kid's life to make sure they get the wisdom they need. Because oftentimes the lesson is you learn when your kids grow up is there's this point when they stop listening to your words and they follow your actions and you still need to give them words. And often there's an example with coaching that if you coach the soccer team or baseball, like if you want to give your kids advice, you got to go through the other coach in order to get it to your kids. Cause they'll listen to the other guy, but not from you. Yeah. Big time. This idea I I got from a front row dads conference I was at and someone shared this. I'm like, oh my God, that is the most brilliant thing I've heard. And the concept is to introduce your, it was really introduce your son is, is what it came, could be work for your daughter as well. But the, the, the conversation was to introduce your son to 12 mentors on his 12th year. So when they're 12 years old, you introduce them to a mentor a month. So that, and, and you, the beauty of that is you get to curate those mentors. It's the people that, you know, are living the life that, you appreciate that you want that kind of wisdom and that kind of life passed on to your children. Uh, Cause it's so important that, you know, look to your point after about the age of 12, right there, 
they get more, much more highly influenced by their friend and peer group than they are by their parents for, for quite a few years right there. And so if we can add this late layer and level of mentorship into their lives, it's one of the best things I think that we can do. You get to curate it. You get to kind of talk to the different people about, Hey, here's what I you know, what I'd love for you to share some of these things, or you just kind of trust that they're the right kind of people that whatever they share, it's going to be great for, for your son or daughter right there. So I've loved that idea. I've started, um, uh, doing it, my, my children were older when I already heard that, but I've already started implementing that in in introducing different mentors into their lives. Yeah, and I could easily see it from like even in the worst case scenario, if you end up leaving well before your time on this earth, there is a trusted board of advisors in that person's life, well beyond. There's an organization called Angels of America's Fallen, and they support the kids of parents that have died in war. So they make sure they get a scholarship to get a coach or some type of mentor, usually from some type of organization like sports or something, to make sure that those kids get that in their life. Because having that sound place they can go so they don't become invisible in the world, it increases the likelihood that they don't become a statistic of a broken home or worse, take their own life because they lost their dad or mom. And you're kind of talking about that same idea, like yeah. being able for them to have this place to be led and... There's an, another concept within fatherhood is that the world and kids are looking for leadership. They go to gangs, they go to all these other places to get it. And you're also buying insurance policies that they know where to get it, whether you're there or not. And even just even finding places where to go versus the unhealthy places that kids can often gravitate to, this has much more repercussions than just providing 12 mentors. This is like, spiritual leadership. This is life leadership. This is relationship leadership. This is the path that can help them get there where they need to go. And that is something that's missing in a lot of kids' lives today. And, that, and that's the beauty is you get to just what you said from spiritual, from financial, from sports, from you get to curate that group right there and, uh, and really help to influence the things I shared with you earlier that, you know, this, this happened to me. I, I would tell my son, I'd talk to him I was blue in the face about a particular topic. And especially we were always talking about real estate because I was a business I was in. We we're talking about this and it just goes right over his head. It's like, he's just oblivious to what I'm saying. And then he comes in a couple weeks later and he's like, dad, can you believe this? And he tells me, basically regurgitates everything I had just you know, been trying to teach him, but someone else had shared the concept with him and it resonated and it clicked with him with that someone else. And so this is, this is one of those examples of being able to put those someone else people into your child's life. Oh, that's, just, and there's so much wisdom in that. I want to make sure every dad understands that curating those people is important because the, the lie that especially men get wrong is that we're wired to do life alone. And so from the age of 12, they, they're, they're, they have that feeling that they're not alone. So that is such a good feeling towards creating a legacy of change in your family, which is something I'm a real big proponent of that that's veterans live rich lives. And if we can help gift that richness, not just in money, but within relationships, wisdom and life, then you pass on a rich life, not again in money, but one where they can actually do something from it. And it's the richness of our soil that we grow things from that determines the quality of what grows from it. So there's so much wisdom in all of that. So Ken, as we close out this interview, where can people get in touch with you and where can people learn more about the Legacy app? Yeah, so for, for Legacy app, it's legacyjournal.app. So .app, legacyjournal.app. Uh, to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook sometimes. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, but if you want to email me direct, especially if you got contacts to any of these family red resource centers or family readiness centers, love to get connected with that. And that's Ken 
at legacyoflove.app. So Ken at Legacy, our, our corporate name is Legacy of Love, Inc. So Ken at legacyoflove.app, kind of contact me direct. And I love even just the idea of Legacy of Love because love is one of those core foundations that veterans get wrong and especially the love for ourselves. That's what I'm speaking to here is that we have an unhealthy relationship with love, not just with the world, but first with ourselves. And that's the the first step to creating a, grong, a strong legacy is first loving the legacy that you were inherited from what your, whatever it is your life. So Ken, I really appreciate everything you shared today and I'm really looking forward to getting this episode out there. And again, thank you for stopping by today. I'm Military Veteran Dad. Man, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thanks for the service you're providing to other veterans right here. So I really appreciate that and I'm honored to be part of it. As always, guys, thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode, I know, hit you probably in the fields if you've been a longtime listener. And I'm looking forward to checking out and diving into the Legacy app because essentially it's been a product that we've been talking about on here. We just didn't know what to call it and we didn't know it already existed. So I'm really glad to continue talking about it and continue to recommend it out there because I believe for the military community, this is a special tool to help solidify what we often struggle with and we often even struggle to figure out how to do it and even what it could look like. So here's a great tool to do that. For my big takeaway, there was something that hit me right before we hit record on this episode and then we dove into it right towards the end and that was curating mentors. I never thought about it that way. And we joked that in coaching and baseball, when your kids are in baseball, that oftentimes if you want to give your kid advice, you can't give it to them. You got to give it to another coach, especially if you're, you're dual coaching your kids' teams. You got to give it to the other coach so they, a coach can give it to your kid. And then poof, they listen to it, they apply it. But oftentimes getting that advice to them from you is extremely difficult. And so bringing the right people in from financial relationship, community, business, investing, any of the areas that we often struggle, like, man, I wish we had a guy for that. Those are the things that I'm going to continue to think about now of how do am I curating the mentors that surround my kids, whether I'm here on this planet or I've already passed, because it's those connections, that knowledge that is going to limit or engage them and propel them to go further and farther than they ever have. So my big takeaway is focusing on the mentors that you bring into your life and curating almost a board of directors for your kid's life that you know you trust their advice and you know that they're going to lead your family well, whether you were there or not. And that, to me, is something that continues to strengthen your legacy because even when you're not there, even when you're not there to help guide them what they should do or point the right direction, there will be people that you specifically brought in, very similar to godmother and godfather. Now, that's only two people. This is more of a whole Rolodex of people thinking about where we bring that influence into their life. So guys, that is all I have for you today. And I hope that this episode hit you just like it did me. And I will see you again next Monday.